All right, well, I'm an old school, Jank Uger, Adrian Lawrence, Ben Carollo with you guys. Carollo, why did I just do that? <laughs> well, maybe because I have COVID, but uh, that is old school to get your name wrong after all these years. That's how I started with you, right? Um, yeah. It's not the first time, and it's not, I don't think it'll ever be the last time. People calling me Carollo has been a staple since like middle school. I don't want to get into what they call me, I don't want to get into it. Um, <laughs> um, so sponsored by twostrongcoffee.com uh, slash TYT, you gotta put the slash TYT in there. So we get credit for it, uh, sports progressive causes, great coffee, helps you when you've got COVID like I do. It's actually a, a magic cure. Why not just go right wing and just make stuff up, right? Like, oh, it's got testosterone in there, it's got hormones in there. Uh, it's like uh, it'll make you smarter. It'll, look, is it too strong in every part? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Although they wouldn't say that. I don't know. They would say, oh, definitely, definitely, it's gonna make you much way more. I guess what they're going for is masculine, right? Uh, can we just note for a second that the right wing hosts are convinced that their audience is not masculine enough? <laughs> That's why they constantly peddle things to make them more masculine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's easy bait, you know, low hanging fruit. It's a thought that let me challenge your masculinity or suggest that it's not up to standards and then I'll have your attention. It's so sad. Yeah, it's literally just built around people. I mean, their whole platform is literally built around people who are insecure in their masculinity, right? The people who are like, oh no, if I change a diaper, that means that I'm not manly enough. And, you know, like, yeah, Alex Jones told me that if I drink this bone meal, that it's really going to work. Like, I'm, and, it's so, but it just it just feeds on this insecurity. And the worst part is they all hang out with each other. And so they're all trying to pretend that they're as masculine as possible with each other. Well, they're all like deeply insecure about their own. It's like, it would be more funny if it wasn't also very dangerous for society. Totally, which you know, by the way, can just describe the entire right wing movement. It would be really funny if it was really dangerous for the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, their idea of being masculine is only hanging out with other bros. And never actually dating women. Like, wait, that doesn't make much sense, does it? Uh, but they've gotten themselves to believe a lot of things. Um, uh, anyways, okay, so since I have COVID, uh, this is a good moment to have a medical conversation that I was planning to have on another show anyway. So this is perfect, okay? Um, so, and Adrian is our legal expert, so obviously. Uh, medical, legal, what difference does it make? It's all the same, uh, it's a doctorate, you know? Yeah, yeah, there you go, doctorate, either way, okay? Um, and so, uh, isn't it, and if we're going with the right wing theme of just making stuff up today, are we plenty good enough? I mean, that's so good for a right wing, they're like, no, that's way too close to true, <laughs> way too close. Um, so I went to the doctor's office the other day and the doctor asked me if I wanted a chaperone when he was going to do a, like some semi like, private tests or sensitive tests. I don't even remember it being that sensitive. Um, is that a thing now? Have you guys gotten that? 
Oh, dude, that's all they do with women. Uh, they always have someone with us, a uh, third party, which is necessary because generally you've had people engaging in all sorts of misconduct. Uh, but anytime I'm up in holsters or anything's being taken off, there's always a third party standing there. And I'm like, great, everybody gets a look at my boobs. This is wonderful. And it's just, but they're doing it for my own safety and feeling of comfort. So um, that that's pretty cool. That's good. I'm glad that they're asking men now. That's really cool. Yeah, and obviously they're asking not based on appearances, because it. I think I would be the last guy they would ask if I need a chaperone. But um, but who knows? Um, so Ben, what's been your experience? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't think I ever really got offered until I came out as trans, right? And then it kind of like, um, then there was like that question, but it was never really like that big of like, a, like a question. My experience, it doesn't hasn't really ever been anything that's like pushed, and it's not really anything that I've wanted. Like to me, the whole concept is weird because like already. Like I'm outside of my comfort zone. You want me to share medical personal information about myself with this stranger who I guess knows what they're talking about? Like you want to bring a third person into there where they're hearing everything? No, thank you. No, and like that's that's I feel like already beyond, you know, uh what it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it it is really interesting. And and everybody's got a different perspective, as I harp on a thousand times over, right? And so since I'd never heard that before, I was like, why are you gonna do something to me? <laughs> what do I need a chaperone for, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, having uh, just listened to Adrian for a second there, told you she was our medical expert, told you, okay? Um, I realized, oh yeah, of course, from a woman's perspective, that might be really helpful, especially given all the, the crazy stuff the guys do. Oh, yeah. So yeah, has that been forever, Adrian, on, on the woman's side? Um, I think generally I've experienced it pretty much across the board uniformly within the last 15 years when it comes to gynecology. Especially, yeah, but I've had like male doctors where people are looking at my nose because I have a lot of sinus issues and they don't bring other people in the room. It's just been any time there'd be any nudity or anybody would be inserting anything in anybody else like in places. And and I do think it's smart in part because you know it's like um, and I was part of the class for this uh, for USC with that doctor uh, Tyndall who was a gynecologist who was essentially sexually assaulting and messing with women for about 30 years. Um, he was my gynecologist when I was at USC, and there were there was always a chaperone in the room during the time I was there. That this guy was still engaged in nonsense, but I'm—I'd like to assume that he was engaged in even more nonsense when there were more uh, when there weren't chaperones in the room. So I can fully appreciate the fact that our society is recognizing that even though you're a doctor, you can't necessarily be trusted, and people aren't necessarily feeling comfortable or safe. So having a third party uh, is probably the best way to go. But also, I'm kind of like, well, if the third party also works for the hospital or the doctor's office too, I can't guarantee that they're going to speak up or even side for me. They work for the company, so. It's like if I get to have another person, can it maybe be somebody I want to bring in? I don't know, just my thoughts. That's interesting. See, I never thought of that perspective. And now that you tell me you had an OBGYN who was a notorious one <laughs> that was involved in the scandals, now it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. So that's why people got to keep an open mind to other points of view. Because you never know why they're doing what they're doing, and so, yeah. all right, good, good, good. Um, so uh, you know what? I just realized the right wing probably needs a chaperone when uh, I do the show because <laughs> something's gonna go wrong for them. 
<laughs> or <Bring> real. Chaperone. <laughs> Here comes you. They need chaperones all the time, no matter where they go. For their mental yeah. well-being, that's for sure. Exactly. Ben, so we, we've talked about, you know, you're transitioning. I don't know where you are these days. And um, and I don't know if there's a place to be, <laughs> right? Um, but how is the transition going? And are you, the main question that I had now having had this discussion for two minutes was, yeah, wait a minute, how often do you get treated differently? And how do you get treated differently? Okay, so like, okay, there's so much to this. Like, so. It's talking about sharing medical information with strangers. Uh, oh, I've been Sorry. on. I've been on. No, 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 no. This is like. I mean, with transition stuff, I'm usually more like you know talkative because like I mean, trans issues don't really get covered much, right? Um, because like you know, there's just not a ton of trans people that work in news. Uh, and so, so like I'm like three months into hormones, uh, which is nice, right? Which is nice. Already my skin is a million times softer, and the quality of my hair is much better. So like, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I mean the biggest hurdles, like one of the biggest hurdles now, is like waiting for the appointment to get my hair lasered off, because that's the part that really gets people angry, right? Like is uh, like, oh, why you know, why do you have a beard? Why do you have a beard? Um, and then obviously there's a lot of work that goes into like voice training and stuff. Um, but the one biggest thing that you notice, right, which is kind of like, I don't know, it's really, really weird. It's really, really weird um, because like I get interrupted way more, right? Like, like <laughs> way, way more. And it's so funny though, because it's like, like it'll be like my friends that I'm talking to and they'll like interrupt me more. And so it's like, on one hand, I appreciate that truly within your mind, I am a woman. But also, <laughs> maybe, maybe you should take a step back and think for yourself about how you're treating the other women in your life. That's amazing. That's I'm yeah. so glad I asked. Yeah, that's an amazing uh, revelation. And again, is so when we talk about perspectives, in a sense, you're now have. You will have lived two different perspectives in how other people treat, right? Or maybe even three, right? Um, because of the transition and the and and how they view that, let alone um, you know how they view you as a woman. Um, but if it makes you feel any better, people love interrupting me. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait till they start crowding your space. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. going to start getting a little handsier, a little more comfortable doing things, and and you're going to have to develop these kind of defense mechanisms that are still polite and nice, um, but kind of let people know um, that's inappropriate. Get off. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's one of those things where in Minnesota, it's like. Minnesota has a very very weird relationship with directness. It's not like supposed to be present. Um, <laughs> To say the very least, but no, I'm pretty lucky to be like a pretty indoorsy person. Um, so like, I'm not really like out and about much, which in some sense is nice, but in another sense, it just means that like going out, like I'm a serial boy motor. I'm a serial boy motor. Whenever I'm like out and about, um, like I'm very often like in jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> okay, uh, so as I try to catch up with different perspectives. Help me out, brother. I'm a boomer. What boy motor? 
a boy boy motor like like boy moding which is just like a boy mode uh boy motor is a trans woman who will with regularity present male do like mask presentation stuff right not do makeup maybe even like you know grow a beard out for a couple of days just because of like being clocked as trans can be like a really stressful experience cuz you don't know whether or not somebody's going to be like the hate crimey type you know and uh, so like you just mask present in like public right uh to avoid hate crimes uh <laughs> Yeah, no. Look, man. Every part of this conversation is interesting because Ben was in the military. He's probably he's likely tougher than I am. Okay, sorry, she. I see there. I did it. So, but I never get that issue because of how I look. Right. So nobody's touchy with me. Okay. Nobody thinks, oh yeah, this guy will be easy to. Well, well, there's probably a couple of reasons why they're not touching with me, but um, <laughs> but but they, it's hard to intimidate me, right? Correct. And they visually think it's hard to intimidate me, whether it's easy or hard, right? Because they don't really know. Um, and so the assumptions that goes into every human interaction is amazing. Even if you divorce it from politics and you divorce it from all these gender issues. Everyone has a different assumption than the other person, and everyone is convinced that their point of view is the correct one. Um, and it's not just that, hey, we got different points of view. It's no, you're wrong and I'm right. And that causes approximately 89% of all human conflict. <laughs> it's interesting. So um, so I teach you know diversity, equity, and inclusion. And part of that conversation is explaining to people how their mind works when it comes to like unconscious bias. And so what's operating in your subconscious or not. And to get people to the place of where they can just kind of acknowledge and admit that they do a sizing up of people when they interact with them. They do kind of almost a terminator kind of digital assessment of that person and they start attaching certain things to the person's appearance, their height, weight, maybe even how their brows are because you can tell someone's class or their year in terms of how old they are in age and start making these full blown assessments on people and getting people to acknowledge that they do that. One of the things I do is an example of I might say, if you were looking to rob someone and you had Jenk standing next to me, who would you choose between the two of us? And and I get people to say, oh, well, they would choose me and go, okay, well, why is that? And it's like, yes, and this is the kind of analysis people are doing every single day when they're coming to interact with people. And so getting people to finally kind of admit to that and acknowledge it so that they can maybe hopefully you know, stop some of these things and prevent them, it's, it's a journey. Well, look, I'm already a little bit offended there. I, I think I could do a robbery. What's wrong with me as an accountant? Bro, but it's a matter of who would you rob? I think most people would try to come at me, then they would try to come at you. Oh, I, I see. I yeah, see. yeah. I They'd be like, no, I can take her. I can't take her. <laughs> yeah, Jenk heard that and he was like, I, I, I want to be clear. I can like, commit a robbery if I really wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what? Criminal it's, mindset. Yeah, why do you think I can't commit a robbery? I could I definitely commit one. Uh, I love that that's what you heard. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a good example. That's what I heard when that's not what you said. Yeah, uh, you have a disposition. We can talk about that later. <laughs> Although, if you're going to do a robbery, here's it depends on the role that I get. Because here's what you don't want mm-hmm. me as the getaway driver. Why? Okay. I am an awful driver. I really? will smash that car within the first two blocks. <laughs> I mean, trying to drive fast 
through traffic to get away. No, that ain't me. That so ain't me. So do you drive like grandma like? Like slow? Uh no, I drive relatively normal. Like I have friends who are like, hey, it says 55, I'm going 55. Um, okay, oh. I know that's that's actually more mental than QAnon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave Kohler, I'm talking about you. Um, <laughs> among other people. I'm like, so those I, are advisory, I, I, those aren't mandatory, those old speed limit things. That's yeah. a suggestion. Yeah, it's a suggestion. You know, if, if people on the, if it's like a, a 65 road and people are generally doing 70, 75, that's where I'll be. Sometimes I'll yeah. peak into 80. I won't go under 65, but I'm just a super normal driver because I know my limits. I'm not good with spatial reasoning. Like on the road, I'm generally fine. In a parking lot, I'm a nightmare. I cannot judge the spaces. <laughs> so we'll never make it out of the parking lot. How, how many accidents have you gotten into? In parking lots? Like at least uh, that you've hit things and they've been kind of your fault. It, I'm telling you, like non parking lots. I don't even remember if I did a single accident that was my fault. No, you know, the insurance thought it was my fault twice. Okay. Okay, so it was your fault twice. Got it. Okay, I dispute it. Okay, and I know you're a legal expert. Now I'm really annoyed you're your wheelhouse. But anyway, but in parking lots, like easily a dozen times, I once hit three cars at once. Yeah, oh that was God. the that's the infamous story. That's a, like I remember that like what was it a KFC parking lot? You had to go yeah. inside to ask somebody for help. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Adrian, I've never heard you that. have no idea. You have no idea how incompetent I am at that. And the, and the funny thing is like so a lot of people think like oh that's not very masculine of you like I'd be able to drive a car very masculine right? Uh, and I'm like no I'm just not good at it. I it's well you know what's not masculine? Uh, hiding uh, what you Good at and not good at and being insecure yeah. and all that stuff. I went I went inside the KFC and I was like, look guys, I hit three of your cars. I don't know whose <laughs> it is. You gotta come check. Uh, and, and I said, look, the main thing is somebody else has to get me out of that spot before I hit more cars. <laughs> oh <laughs> my God. Okay, now but I have to ask you, like, if it turned if you were like in a parking lot of like a Popeyes or something, would you have thought twice about going in and admitting it? You could tell me. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, because that goes to another gen quirk, which is parents. Um, so, like, it's not even if I had the hey, the racial component, Popeyes is blah blah blah, right? <laughs> I, it wouldn't bother me at all. I don't, I don't think it. Like, I would be way overconfident, and be like, oh, I got this. Yes, yes, okay, I respect that. Right. Yeah, I just like the image of the the Chad yes meme of Jenk walking into the store, being like, "I crashed into three of your cars." <laughs> right. I I would have loved to have been a person in there and been like, "Oh my god," like because it just feels like utter chaos just walked in. Yeah, see, I'm not allowed to do the accent anymore, but the owner was Indian, <laughs> and uh, and you can picture it in your mind's eye him telling me to step aside and that he's got it. Okay. Oh, oh, wait, did he have to move your car for you? Yeah. Woo, woo, buddy. He's like, just don't hit any more cars. Jesus Christ, please don't come back. Lot. Please don't come back, sir. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll deliver the food to you outside on the might curb. have actually said that. Because you know, immigrants, they don't care. They have less of a filter. So yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, please don't come back. Like, <laughs> no, seriously. Okay. And oh so, um, and then uh, Ben might remember this part. And then I go home. 
some uh, Karen thought that I didn't tell the people that I hit. So she called it in. Uh, I say she, I made it up that it's a Karen. I have yeah. no idea who called it in. Okay. Um, and uh, and the cops come and I open the door uh, and I'm eating KFC. And I'm so I'm literally licking my fingers. And they're like, finger licking good. You're holding evidence of the crime, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, guys. I'm like, are you here for the <laughs> tremendous damage I did in the parking lot? <laughs> did they give you like they didn't give you a citation or anything, right? They were just like, okay, noted. Yeah, when they confirmed that I had told the people and I was not a hit and run, then they were fine with it. And like, and let's also keep it real. It was I grew up in an um, you know middle class to upper middle class suburb, uh-huh. so it's just it's a different dynamic. Right? I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in fact, I mean that was one of the first things I ever realized about racism because so get a, to get a load of this trippy perspective that I have. So I live in Turkey until I'm eight. Uh, I in growing up, I only saw one black person my whole life because I'm growing up in Istanbul. Uh, and there was a guy in our apartment building that moved in maybe a year before we moved to America. And I was like, whoa, I'd never seen anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, TV barely exists back then. It was on from four o'clock to midnight. So just eight hours a day, just one channel, black and white in Turkey, okay? So that's a really trippy headspace for a six, seven, eight year old, right? Mm-hmm. And so I come here, I've never, at that point, this is really interesting actually. I'm surprised I, I don't emphasize this more. When I got here, I didn't really know racism against black folks. Uh-huh. Like I knew even as a little kid, you know, there people would say things about other cultures. And actually in Turkey, and I hate to say this, and I wish it weren't the case, but there's really casual racism towards Arabs. Um, and so people in the Middle East are probably not surprised by that. You all like if you're an American right winger, you're like Turk, Arab. What the hell's the difference? Okay, <laughs> but in Turkey, there's a big difference, at least perceived. So I knew that discrimination like that existed. I just didn't know that it exists against black folks, let alone the depth to which it existed. So, and one of my best friends was an Italian kid named William Pope. Another one was a Turkish kid, and the third was J.T. Gary, who was black. Right. So I grew up in this idyllic situation, and I remember. Some kid that was three years older than us went up on a roof, uh, was listening, it was tanning and listening to his boombox. He drops the boombox and he doesn't want to report it to his parents. Uh, so he tells the cop, he calls the cops and says, Somebody stole my boombox. Okay. Within a day, they identify the black thief and they get his fingerprints from the door. And I remember hearing that story and going, whoa, mind blown. Because I, it never even occurred to me, isn't this amazing? It never even occurred to me that the cops would lie like that. Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, I mean, maybe what's more mind blowing, what should be more mind blowing is, yeah, cops lie like that, lie like that all the time. And we should all be like shocked by it. Uh, but unfortunately, we've gotten used to it. Yeah, no, I definitely had my kind of like mind blown kind of experience 
Yeah, that's similar almost setup. Um, but yeah, it, it took me a while too, because you know, when you grow up in that kind of almost idyllic experience and you don't realize a lot of the things that are going on around you and why they're happening. And so having that kind of eye-opening experience, it happened to me later in life. Uh, and it's a hell of a thing when you literally are raised with these ideas and principles and you grow up in a home where parents never talk about race or religion or anything. Like the Mormons would come by the house. My dad's like, come on in, let's have a talk. Like he, like it was all very truly welcoming and nothing was ever brought up. So, and the world does a really good job of kind of hushing things and pretending they don't exist. But then when you actually realize that no, this is all farce, this is a, this is all pretext. And then so, you see it. Ben, uh, do you remember your first experience? Anyway, the first experience you recollect where you were like, oh, there are bad guys in the world. Um, <laughs> I kind of grew up in like a really traumatic childhood. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I I had that like my whole entire life, right? I guess. So I grew up really poor. My parents were divorced. My mom worked like 80 hours a week to keep food on the table. Um, so I was just kind of like a regular occurrence for me, I guess. But there are like obvious moments where things just become like super clear but at that moment it's like not surprising right like i you know i had this buddy back in like high school and he's mexican his parents are immigrants he's really really cool um and he like he would always drive around like a chevy s10 right which is like a you know like a really nice truck right um and like literally we got we all got pulled over right cuz you know like that's what happens and you know the police. Weirdly enough, <laughs> so strange. Uh, they pat down him, but they're not pat downing me or the other person who's also white um, in the car. And like, there's just like very, very obvious moments like that. But like, that's not really like that's just kind of like one of like a dozen different <laughs> examples. Um, because like, I don't know. I I just kind of like I, I grew up. <laughs> I I grew up. Uh, I guess. Uh, Pretty rough. So I had a pretty early sense of the world being unfair. Yeah. Yeah. That's see. Look at all these different interesting perspectives. So when I was growing up in a like I said a middle class suburb, the biggest issue we had with cops was they would set up speed traps and and sometimes stop sign traps. I mean it's like footloose kind of crap, right? Okay. <laughs> like it's pretty innocent yeah. stuff. I mean like the worst that would happen is like. Uh, they, some guy had a stop sign uh, trap, which makes no sense. You're <laughs> pulling people over because nobody can see the stop sign. Like, are we really going to talk around the elephant in the room here? Anyway, um, but as soon as he pulled me over, we felt so safe that one of my friends in the back started messing around with me because, like, the cop was like, "You know, did you see what you did there? Okay, you ran a stop sign that is really dangerous." My friend in the back's like, "Thank you, sir. I was afraid for my life." <laughs> Service, okay. To be fair, I was driving, so it's not totally inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so Ben, one more thing about that. Um, I was poor a little bit in Turkey growing up, 
and I was poor after I graduated from law school, which is kind of <laughs> ironic, but I was poor for a long, long time uh, trying to be struggling talk show hosts and stuff like that. But it didn't overly affect my life. Um, and and I lived in some rough neighborhoods too, because we couldn't afford anything else. Uh, that goes stretches back to law school and beyond. And you know, and to your point, Adrian, I mean, there was a they, there was folks who sold drugs on the corner of our street in New York, and and uh, and they um, and four people were shot on that street uh, in the year that we lived there. So, and West Philly was no, you know, nothing to sneeze at. Then Baltimore was nothing to sneeze at. Um, but um, but I never, I don't think that I got discriminated against for being poor. Part of the reason was I could always just put on a sports jacket, right? And and then I present as, you know, upper middle class. Yes. So Ben, when you were growing up actually poor, uh, how much of a problem did it create for you? Not financially, but with authority figures, etc. Yeah, I mean, it was just like now, like at the end of the day, right? I was still a white kid, right? So like, it was pretty easy for me to get teachers to like me, and uh, you know, as long as you're good enough with words, right? You can convince people that you're smart and you're not problematic, right? So like having those things work for me, um, like it was still like I think a pretty decent struggle, right? Because like a lot of like a lot of my teachers, right? Because I've talked to a decent chunk of them as like adults just by bumping into them in like doing random political work and whatnot. Um, and like it's clear that they felt bad for me because my clothes, right? I just did not have any of my own clothes, right? Like every once in a while, it would be like Christmas and like our grandma would like take us to like get like some new clothes. But for the most part, all of the clothes that I had were my brother's clothes. <laughs> Um, until like I got a job when I was in like high school. Um, and there's just like the other random stuff of like not getting invited to stuff because you just literally can't pay to go to it, right? And just kind of like, it's like, I mean, it's a pretty big struggle. And then there's just like the other aspects of your life that aren't directly financial, like, um, like literally, <laughs> my mom had this conversation with my brother like a few years ago and was literally like, she was like, I don't know how I did it. I literally was doing the math and I don't understand how I was affording the mortgage and like everything for you know all six of you because I have five brothers. Um, and my brother was like, mom, you just didn't buy food. <laughs> like you just didn't buy food. <laughs> like that's how you paid for the mortgage. Um, which is a little bit funny in hindsight, I guess that my mom was like, oh yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, no, and, you gotta make do. You gotta yeah. make do. So yeah. that's what I relate to, because I went 15 years of the four uh, basic food groups, uh, Hot Pockets, cereal, mac and cheese, cold gut sandwiches, that's it. Cycle, 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 I get the, I did the math on it. Uh, nobody knew the exact cost of a bologna sandwich better than I did. Um, so, uh, but, but growing up that way is different. That's part of why I asked. And um, and then when and there was another factor in it. I, I we I would sh we would shop in Marshalls and we would get irregular clothes. So Jr. and I have talked a lot about that. He had the same experience. Um, but people didn't assume that I got the irregular clothes because I was poor. They assumed I got the irregular clothes because I was an immigrant and a dork. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what the cool clothes were, right? And so. So it's different assumptions. Um, so, okay, Steven Scales, by the way, wrote it in the member section. Ben needs to donate her laugh to sad people. <laughs> every, time, 
every time I hear her laugh, I laugh. Yeah. Uh, so that's true. That's why I've said from day one, Ben, I love your laugh. Um, so a lot of times people are made to feel uncomfortable about something that's actually a strength of theirs. Don't don't believe the hype. Um, all right, so now back to sickness. Um, I kind of like being sick. And right. so for me, the booster sickness was perfect. You know how you get a little one day sickness from the booster? Because I know that it's fake, it's my body being tricked into thinking there's a virus when there is no virus. So I'm not actually sick and I can't spread it to other people, I'm not gonna get worse. But I get to feel a little sick for the day and I love that. Okay. If you wanna be feel woozy, just take an edible, Jank. What, what, what is wrong with you? You know, if you were to say, you know, my wife gives me a little extra attention or something like that, I would be like, okay, I see it. But you're just like, it's kind of neat, feeling like I could collapse at any moment. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's do it. We'll, we'll dive a little bit into my psychology to figure out why in the world I like that. Uh, but, but of course, part of it is, you know, having people take care of me. But with the booster sickness, I nobody was taking care of me. Uh, nor should they, like it, it wasn't real. Uh, and I still enjoyed it. Um, and I'm curious what your guys take is like, when when I get sick, I have body aches. Like that's my number one symptom, which is like all my muscles hurt. And when that happens, I love curling up in bed and just like not having the pressure to do anything, but just sit there in bed feeling sick. I love that. Okay, so how mental am I go? Yeah, for real, issues for days. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't, it's funny because I, I haven't been sick since, I think since COVID, since I had COVID back in 2010. And and that's great, I appreciate it. Yeah, 2020, um, yeah, time doesn't matter. Because anymore. right now the right wing's like, oh, so it existed in 2010. <laughs> they knew all about it, I right. knew it. Exactly. Um, but I haven't been sick in forever, which is great because I don't I don't like being sick. I don't like not getting up. I don't like I just because you start to wonder when is this gonna go away? And I think the uncertainty of not knowing when I'm going to feel more myself is what I think I just find it to be disturbing. Yeah. Uh, ben, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I think being like, I, I think it's miserable. I think it's because for me, being sick is almost like a daily occurrence, right? Oh. So, like, I have PTSD, I get terrible nightmares, it makes my sleep basically worthless, right? So, like, even if I get the right amount of sleep, right? Waking up from sleep is like, where, what, you know, what year is it kind of like vibe. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, I'm usually pretty nauseous, right? And then, like, there's just this constant struggle of battling, like, there's like a magic window where I can eat and I need to eat then because if I wait too long, I'll get nauseous. And then it's just like, so it's kind of like a daily occurrence. And then so being sick on top of that is just like, I'm like, I'm gone. I'm I'm just like absolutely gone. It's just like, uh, yeah, no, very, very miserable, especially because I get migraines too. And yeah. like, it's, yeah, it's uh, so I'm, a, I'm very averse to being sick. Yeah, no, here we go again with amazing different perspectives. So I got two things that first of all, I have a magic window for eating too. It's called 24 <laughs> hours. Uh, okay, I will only eat within a 24 hour window in any given day. Okay, um, so but you know what you just made me realize, Ben, that I have in a sense, healthy privilege. Yes. Right? 
not white privilege, but being healthy. So that for me, being sick is a mild amusement, right? <laughs> Whereas for you, like you're, you're like, no, there is nothing goddamn amusing about this. Um, and so that's super trippy too. Yeah, it does make you be, it makes you grateful for kind of the things you don't have to deal with when you recognize that certain things can be amusements. Like, I don't know, when kind of like your flight gets delayed and you get stuck in a city, it's like I have the financial means to go explore the city and go see other things. And maybe I don't even want to go back to my flight and just to make it happen. But other people, you know, that could be the end of days for them. And so it's just the little things that you realize, like, I should probably, I guess, enjoy this while I have this, or maybe while I don't have to deal with other things. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, man. No, yeah, 100%. I mean, like, really, like that, in a sense, really is what, like, what privilege broadly is, is a cushion, right? It's a cushion. That cushion could be time, right? Having the time to take off from something. That cushion could be, like, you know, having, so, like, you know, if you're sick, it could be your time in the day, right? So, for me, it very much is time in the day. Like, I've got some set times where I'm, like, more productive than other times. And, you know, these types of things where, you know, $100 could be nothing to somebody and it could be everything to somebody else. And so like, it's really all about just having that, having that like cushion um, so that any blow that comes your way, can it just hit differently or, or not at all really sometimes. A hundred percent, that's yeah. so true. Like, so I remember I haven't missed that many flights, but I missed one a while back, but I was with a friend who uh, has some money. And so, and I didn't need to be anywhere in particular, which is very rare. But, but in that case, I remember being non-stressed about having to get back to work. Uh, and when we missed the flight, he's like, "Let's just go back into New York. I'll get us hotel rooms. We'll go to a nice dinner, and we'll uh, turn it around and make it a great memory." Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, that sounds amazing." And that's exactly what we did, and it was fantastic. But you don't do that unless you got the money for the hotel rooms and the dinner, etc. Yeah, for real, it can be a game changer, and it's that's also something in the work that I do, what I teach in terms of the privileges we have. Because I'm like, you know, I'm five eight, and so for a woman that's tall, because the average man in the United States is five nine, and since our world is designed for man, it's like I don't have an issue when I'm in the grocery store and I need to reach something on the highest level, but other people do. Yeah, because I think the average woman is 5'4". So the average woman will have trouble reaching that. And it's like these little privileges that people, uh, they completely miss every day. That they don't realize, they don't have to deal with that. Because society was made for them, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. Or society happens to prize what uh, feature they have or what knowledge or maybe even their dialect and how they speak. Um, and I just, I think it's really fascinating. And also eye-opening when you can step back and be like, okay, these are all of my privileges. This is really, you know, this is kind of cool, but also recognizing what privileges you don't have. Um, I just think it's a very powerful kind of exploration. Well, I'll add something to it. Um, if you got a privilege, don't feel guilty about it. Go ahead, um, one first thing, first step is help someone else, okay? And then that you'll have an even more clear conscience. And then like, Soak it in, and so I don't mean like, haha, I'm rich, you're poor, I'm so bad. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and and if you are, don't tell anyone. Okay, I mean like, hey, I just realized that I have healthy privilege. I never do that, like that I have good health privilege. Let's put it that way. Uh, and uh, and now I'm going to soak it in. Uh, I'm going to be like, hey, this is me being sick is a rarity, 
and uh, and I, 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 my wife just gave me chicken tortilla soup. It was delicious. Like I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And so at least you know enjoy what you have because like we're gonna run out of time, brothers and sisters. You hear me say this all the time, but there is an expiration date. So whatever you got, uh, right or not right. Help someone else first, you know, like same thing with the, the thing will drop. Actually, you're supposed to help yourself first. But anyway, in the plain <laughs> analogy, so it's not a good analogy, okay? But help someone else, and then it's okay. Help yourself, like enjoy life. All right, I'm gonna ask you guys a controversial question in a second, because that's what I do. Uh, but first, uh, uh, Twitch shout outs. Uh, Samalin the Kind Dragon just rated us. Every time I feel like I want to tell the boomers like me, no rating is a good thing. It's not rating and pillaging. It's not the the, the central Asian steps of my past. Okay, <laughs> so it's a good thing. And uh, and thank you for doing that. Brooke Marks uh, writes in, Rob something, Jenk. You won't. I, I like two things about that. One, that you're speaking like Yoda. Uh, and and two, you're right. Of course, of course. I'm not. But you know, my dad said this a long time ago, guys. And it'll transit a big decent transition to crime, which I want to talk about a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of my um, a lot of people in my parents' hometown uh, were smugglers. Uh, that's because they were poor and there was dumb immigrant um, taxation laws and um, not immigration, but tariffs and all that stuff. And you couldn't bring things in from Syria and they lived on the Syrian border. And in Syria, everything was cheaper. So folks would smuggle, bring it in, make a very healthy profit. And I remember um, one day I asked my dad, hey dad, why didn't you do that? Uh, because it seems like that was a much easier way to go. Um, a lot of folks you know did do that and they got wealthy and you saw it with your own eyes. And there's not much of a moral component to it. It was just dumbass tariff laws, right? And so, and that's partly, by the way, led me to here's another perspective. Like when I was a kid, I was told that the, the drug gangs and the drug dealers were like the worst, most evil people. And how did I get into my head? Media. Oh, evil, evil, good versus bad. And they're the bad guys. And then when I thought about it in our context, I was like, Honestly, some of my uncles, right? I'm like, they're not bad guys. That was the only economic opportunity they had, right? And so it's so easy for someone else to say, no, don't take advantage of that economic opportunity. Go back to being a farmer where you have no hope and you'll never recover, right? Um, so anyways, um, in terms of uh, crime, when I asked my dad, why didn't you do it? He said, I, it, it would stress me out too much. It'd be like the sword of Democles hanging over your head. Mm. And at any point it could fall. And he's like, no matter how much money it was or no matter how alluring it was, I just couldn't live with that stress. And, and I feel the same exact way. I think being a bad guy is so stressful. Why would anybody want to do it? You're gonna stress yourself out, you're gonna make yourself sick. You're gonna have a terrible life. That's my sense of it. What do you guys think? I think it depends on what kind of crime it is. Um, I, I've thought long and hard. I've been told I actually think like a criminal from my friends. Cause I just, the analytical framework of breaking it down. But I'm also one of those people who lives and dies by um, 
Thomas Crown Affair uh, and so on and so forth. So the idea of conducting a very stealth and smart heist uh, and getting away with it, I find those things to be quite alluring. Um, and But I also think that you couldn't involve anybody else because I think people are like, they're just like Thomas Crown did. He, he ran solo for a reason because everybody else is messy. And so it's like, if I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna go down on my own. I fully thought this out. Oh yeah, you know, if I don't no. got anything going by the age of 60, it's going down. You better protect MoMA, I'm getting my art. <laughs> so of all the things we've discussed tonight, you having thought this through <laughs> is the most obvious. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like God, you, have yeah. spent, you have spent considerable time thinking about this and I respect you for it. Thank you, thank you. I also have this thing about, so I really enjoy like The Godfather and that was like my film and my movie and I watched it. And and of course, Godfather 2, there's no three, it shall not be acknowledged. But it's like, Kay had it really good. Kay Corleone had it really good. She had a loyal man, he was a hard worker. She, she had the prestige and everything and she messed that up. And so as I told my therapist, I, I'll never date an ex-con simply because it's like he got caught. Like I, I'm really just here for the real, real bad guys. And that's my life motto, thank you. Okay, Continue. I did not see that coming. Uh, where Adrian, our legal expert, <laughs> says, I'm here for the bad guys. And if you're gonna be a con, you better be a current one and not an ex-con. That's right, <laughs> be a good one, damn good one. No Danny Oceans here. <laughs> okay, I love it. By the way, check out both Ben and Adrian on Rebel Headquarters. You're gonna love their videos there. So Ben, thoughts on crime, go. Yeah, I mean, I guess like this is one of the things where it's like complicated, right? Because like ultimately, like I would never like, are you kidding me? Commit a crime? That sounds exhausting, right? Just for like a million different reasons. Um, but on the front of like good guys, bad guys, the reality is that like, our system already rewards like the worst guys, right? <laughs> like Elon Musk is a billionaire and his family got the their money from like owning an emerald mine in apartheid South Africa. They're all like the worst people already are like the wealthiest people. And you know, like if you're looking to get rich quick, the easiest way to do it is to say the most hateful nonsense you know, that you can think of. And then all of a sudden you've got like a million subscribers on YouTube because that's the society that we live in. Um, like, and so when it comes to other types of crimes, like, you know, you know, young kids slinging drugs or whatever, like uh, for the most part, that's like something that a lot of people I think do out of necessity more than out of like, oh, I really wanna do this. And it's just weighed against like, other factors in life. And so like, I don't know, but as for like doing crime myself, I mean, look, I was in the United States military. I worked with drones. I was, you know, one of the baddest bad guys sort of out there in the world. Um, and I didn't like it. <laughs> That's why I got out, you know? And so I don't think like in my heart, I could like uh, do anything that's like willfully like harmful. You know what I mean? You know, what's uh, amazing is that I really respect both of you for your diametrically opposed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to be a kingpin, and he's over here being Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, I like that Ben is Gandhi, and I like that Adrian is a smooth criminal. Uh, <laughs> potential, potential. Um, all right, it, we're not going to have nearly enough time for this, but here's the, uh, the controversial question in two minutes or less. So, on the one hand, you know, we all talk about uh, criminal justice reform, prison reform, so many different reforms. 
On the other hand, you two are probably from the two communities most affected by violence in America. Um, and so when we see something like um, cash bail, in my opinion, it didn't work as, as we had hoped. It turns out there's a lot of not a lot of violent crimes that are not considered felony violent crimes. And too many people got released and too many people in all of our communities got hurt. But um, so uh, it's way too big a topic for two minutes. But Adrian, what's your take on that? Well, actually, I will punt to Ben first, just um, part because Maverick is trying to assault me. Yeah, I mean, realistically, like, look, I guess if you want to know my perspective on it, the best way to get it is through like reading different like abolitionist literature. People like Angela Davis are really great. I'm actually in the middle of this book. We do this until we save us. But like, I mean, I'll put it like this. Um, I don't have enough time to tell like the full story, but my youngest brother was murdered, right? My youngest brother was murdered. Um, he died from fentanyl overdose and giving people fentanyl in Minnesota leads to their death. That is a murder. And our only choice in that situation, right? Originally, the police decided they weren't going to investigate it, um, but we found out who it was. And then the police asked us if we wanted to press charges. We found it was some kid. His grandma assured us that it was by accident, right? And we have no way to know that for certain. But ultimately, the choice was, like, is it worth it, right? Like, like because prisons are torture, right? Prisons in the United States are torture factories, and so, like, ultimately. You know, we decided not to move forward with it because it would have done more harm, and we don't think that person was really out there to like do harm, even though he did. And so, ultimately, in my opinion, the response needs to be outside of the carceral system. And so, when it comes to like bail, I, I fundamentally think that like cash bail just sort of runs contrary to like, um, sort of like the whole notion of, of justice, sort of in my opinion. Super interesting opinion. All right, Adrian, what do you think? Um, well, I definitely, I couldn't agree more with Ben. Um, absolutely, I also think there needs to be more of a holistic approach. Um, you know, because people often will turn to crime as a lack of available opportunities and resources, and so I think you have to address it from all angles. But imposing a system in any way that is classist, but also doesn't protect the community or make them feel safe, but also doesn't create opportunities for people to be able to pursue their legal um, remedies and options available to them. I think that 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 not having that available in any way, no matter how you go about it, that it's not going to be anything that's productive for our society.